Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemek. Uh, Saqib Ali was planning to join me, but he has some uh, kind of not a family emergency, but uh, such as something he had to tend to with his family. So it's just going to be me. And uh, our guest is a, is a return guest, ATP pro Rajiv Ram. Very pleased to have him here. Lots of big news, uh, really the biggest news of 2020 in tennis since the end of the Australian Open. Uh, so without further ado, Rajiv Ram, welcome back to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back again. Hey, I mean, it's really rather simple. Uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, Grigor Dimitrov, Borna Chorich, Viktor Troicki, uh, all testing positive for coronavirus. So very simply, uh, want to get your opinion on these and the other big stories in the tennis world. What What is your fundamental reaction? And I guess more particularly, Rajiv, uh, how does this change the equation for tennis uh, going forward in 2020? Well, my fundamental reaction, to be honest, is unfortunately not one of incredible surprise. Um, my initial reaction when I saw the, the event on TV was of huge surprise, just seeing not that it was a tennis event being put on, but just in the manner that it was there. You know, people sitting shoulder to shoulder, it seemed like tennis as usual. It didn't really seem very you know, different. And with everything going on in the world today, the world is very different. So um, I don't really, I had no idea that that was going to happen. I don't know what their research was to lend them to believe that that was okay, but I was certainly surprised to see it. And, uh, you know, just given facts that you hear all the time daily and just numbers of, of this, you know, virus still being very, very much in effect. It's unfortunately to me, not, not a big surprise that, that a few of these guys have gotten it. And so, what what does this change in tennis? Like, does does this change your opinion of of the U.S. Open and Roland Garros, if at all? And and if so, in in, in what way? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is all it's also fluid, right? I mean, these these stories are coming out just daily. That you know, how many guys are getting it, or you know, whatever, how many how many players are contracting the virus. And at this point, it doesn't really change too much for me. Um, I'm probably going to have to learn a bit more about all of their safety protocols. I'm not sure if the U.S. Open has all the safety protocols in, in perfect place. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very sure they're not going to do what happened on the Adria tour in that, you know, it wasn't there wasn't really seemingly many safety protocols. So um, if it was if it was like that, yeah, I'm obviously not going. But uh, I think as of now, I'm still open to listening to what they have in place. But I think, it, to be honest, it was just more of a maybe a wake up call for everybody saying that we are absolutely not ready for uh, normal, quote-unquote, normal tennis to resume. Okay. Have you talked to any uh, fellow p players? And if so, what are they saying? Yeah, a few here and there. I mean, we all kind of share the same, or at least the ones that I've spoken to share the same feeling that uh, everyone's hesitant, for sure. Everyone's a bit wary of, of the situation. I think everyone's waiting for exact, um, you know, information as to how the situation is going to be at, at these at these tournaments you know fans no fans you know testing i mean people are going to potentially fly all the way across the world to some of these tournaments is that are they going to be tested afterwards if somebody gets it what's going to happen i think one of the things is that you know if we play we have to be very ready that it's it's a good possibility somebody's going to you know test positive for coronavirus i don't think it's I don't think we can go into it saying, well, I don't think it's going to happen. It, it obviously is, you know, a good chance that it happens. So if somebody tests positive, what happens then? I think there's a lot of information still yet to be 
disclosed or yet to be put together, I should say, not disclosed. It's not like they're hiding it maybe, but not to be put, you know, put out in the open um, before anybody can really make the decision. Yeah. So um, in terms of like, the, let's, let's get into the tennis players experience. So mm -hmm. let's start with the off the court. And, and, but when I say that, I mean like preparing for a match before you walk onto the actual tennis court. You know, so assuming that they're going let, to let's imagine just just hypothetically that the U.S. Open goes ahead. So that's 256 players, 128 in, in both of the singles draws. Uh, you know, usually the players are congregating in a in a lounge or locker room, uh, you know, before the match to, you know, in terms of varying lengths of time. So one would think that the players are going to have to be in very separate quarters, I imagine. So what do what? If anything, are you aware of in terms of how the a professional tennis player is going to have a different experience preparing for a match in like the two to three hours before the match? What what if anything are you hearing? What if any what if anything are have you personally questioned in terms of how the, your experience is going to be different right before a match? I I haven't heard anything concrete other than seemingly we won't get as players as many guests allowed and obviously there would be no fans you know obviously that doesn't really have a, anything to do with the, the pre-match experience but we won't have any guests so for example if you know if i'm bringing a coach and a physio and my wife or whoever to a tournament which is normal you get maybe three guests or whatever one coach and two guests that's not maybe going to happen anymore um or at least that was one of the things that i heard i think another really uh a different thing would be we're you know out of all the things you mentioned you didn't mention a, a warm-up area or a gym i mean right before we play we're always in the gym warming up on the bike doing footwork drills you know drills with tennis balls this and that and like it's like you know maybe four or five bikes there one player jumps off one player jumps on you know and that's the same for the cool down i mean it's no thought of hey let me wipe this down let me clean this let me you know it's like i'm waiting for a bike somebody's just off the match sweaty no problem i'm gonna jump right on i'm gonna maybe wipe it off a little bit, but nothing, nothing major, you know? So I think that experience is going to be way different. Like the warm up area, when people are actually preparing for the match straight away before, I can't imagine it's going to be anything like that and how it normally is. I think it's got to be way more secluded um, and way, way more sort of privatized. I mean, you've been at the USTA national tennis center. Do you think that, especially in the first round, when you know all the players are in the main draw are there, do you think the USTA has the facilities to provide sp spread out uh, locations where players can get a? You know, it's not going to be entirely normal. No one would say that, but do you think you can get a something reasonably close to normal experience in terms of your preparation, your workouts, and all the things that happen before you take the court? In terms of space, I funnily enough, I actually do. I mean. If you take the fans out of the picture, which is not going to is going to be the case, there is tons of room. And you take the concessions out and all of the all of the space that's taken by things for the fans, which is phenomenal on a normal time. If you take that out and you put up tents or whatever partitions or you know something effective, all of that now becomes player areas. I actually think the space is 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 quite a lot. There's a whole indoor building which is normally used for corporate things and this and that, which I'm assuming is not going to be there. And so, I mean, I don't think the space is as much of a challenge as actually, you know, having you know, getting used to the 
the abnormalcy. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not a challenge. I'm not in their boots, but I mean, I, I can, ima- I, I just feel like there's so much room there that they could be creative with it. But, uh, you know, how you're going to monitor players walking from one side to the other, maybe security, you know, uh, just, I, I think there's going to be a whole slew of different things where people are not used to, um, maybe doing some safety protocols that are going to be, that are going to be tough. Um, but it's certainly not going to be normal. Yeah, let's let's imagine this particular scenario. I mean, let's say on the outer courts, uh, you know, a, a, a cluster of matches end at roughly the same time. Uh, one would think that, you know, if, the, if there's going to be any kind of security detail, uh, getting the players onto the courts might have to be staggered potentially so that they're socially distanced as they make their way to the courts. Uh, anything you have to say in terms of how the scheduling of matches might need to be different. You know, they might need to be spread out so that you don't have uh, players coming and going in close proximity at the same time. In anything uh, yeah. you can imagine well, about that? Honestly, this is the first I'm hearing or thinking about that. My first reaction is I'm glad I'm not the one making these decisions or, or uh, you know, coming up with these ideas. I mean, yeah, it's going to have to be taken into consideration. I mean, it happens all the time. You finish right, you know, the same time as the person next to you and everyone kind of gets, you know, together and walks out the court. And, you know, there's a lot of people going in and out of the court at the same time without, you know, a whole lot of space in between. And I, you know, I don't have the answer to that one. That along with so many other things are going to have to be taken into consideration. And I think that's on the USTA to do fully. Um, if if they really want to have this tournament, I think, you know, the the stuff with hap- that happened over in um, Serbia and Croatia and whatnot is just a wake up call to how important it really is. And so, my feeling is that if the U.S. Open or any other event goes on, it's it, it's going to have to be just you know really innovative when it comes to that stuff. Okay, uh, let let's now get to the experience a professional tennis player's experience on the court. Um, first of all, you know, we saw video of Grigor Dimitrov, uh, fist bumping, uh, Borna Chorich's hand, and then also the chair umpire's hand. Uh, are you, I mean, and, and pe- some people would say even, you know, touching another player or another person, uh, is, is not the safest behavior. Uh, you know, are we not going to see handshakes in tennis for, for some time? Is that like, a something that tennis players have, you know, accepted or is that something that's not necessarily unanimous in the locker room right now no i think look i think if it's a matter of playing and not playing that was the only thing that was going to be the difference maker i think players would be more than happy to forego the handshake maybe maybe a racket touch or something to that effect but i don't think that's a a big deal i I think you know i think there's maybe excuse me some other things when it comes to you know serving with your own set of tennis balls on your serve and you're only touching those balls and that, that, that would be all that stuff's going to be a bit different. I, I don't, but I don't foresee anyone getting overly excited about shaking somebody else's hand in the near future. Um, if, if all these events happen. Okay. What do you think is going to be the biggest, uh, inconvenience in terms of handling a match? Because, uh, they're, they're you know, if the, if the U S open is played, uh, you know, there's reports that they're not going to be the full complement of lines, people calling lines, and it's going to be more of a Hawkeye, governed system. So that could certainly be a problem. And then the other thing that has been discussed on tennis Twitter a little bit in the past few days, especially with the, the uh, recent news about Djokovic and Dimitrov and others, is that towels should not be handed by ball kids 
uh, two players. Now, there really should be no hand transmission of towels uh, between ball kids and players. So let's take those two separate items. First, you know, the lack of lines calling from, from human beings. And second, uh, the, the, the exchange of towels. What, what are your thoughts on those two separate issues? Um, I think the lack of lines calling, I mean, we've actually had that before, not me personally, but they tried that in the next gen. So it's not like it hasn't happened before. I think we all pretty much go with what Hawkeye says anyway. So I don't feel like that's going to be, um, it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. It's not going to be unaccepted. I don't think, I think people are, it's unfortunate for the lines people, to be honest, because that's quite a few jobs that won't, won't happen. I kind of actually feel for them in that, in this situation, but as from a, player's perspective i don't see that being a big issue the towel thing could be a big issue for some people um but i quite, I quite honestly feel like that is probably something that needed to go anyway i mean i remember i was a ball kid when i was 12 or 13 years old and i did a match for andre agassi and he asked for the towel a lot and i I'm, didn't really want to give him his sweaty towel all the time and nothing against him but i just didn't feel like that was the most hygienic thing around and it happens all the time and i feel like we should be able to go back and get our own towels i mean maybe we have to extend the shot clock a little bit or whatever but you know we should be able to to do that so i don't think that's going to be an issue the one issue that i do feel though without ball kids is actually like you know picking up the balls i don't mean it from a standpoint of it's an inconvenience but it could be something that takes a while and we've for a long time now talked about how we can speed up tennis and this is not going to help in speeding up tennis like how can you you know, if you want to look at three balls before you serve and maybe one's in one corner, one's at the net, or you have to, you miss a serve in the net and you got to walk up and get it and move back. Like these kinds of things do not help the speeding up of the sport. So I see that as being maybe more of a, of an issue that is inconvenient, is counterproductive to sort of the sport itself. I'm not sure how that's going to go. Yeah. Well, and it certainly plays into the scheduling piece. You know, if, 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 uh, let's say like 15, 20 minutes are going to get added to every match. Then in the early rounds, that could certainly create a, a scheduling bottleneck to a certain degree. So that that's something to consider. Um, a, another particular question about the, the, the amended, uh, you know, altered tennis player experience, um, you know, in terms of injuries, you know, in terms of getting medical training and also, uh, you know, because New York is very hot and humid uh, at the time of the of the U.S. Open. Uh, what 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 provisions should there be amended provisions in terms of what players can have courtside, uh, perhaps, you know, to to make their experience more comfortable and also but just to. Uh, reduce the likelihood that a, that a physician or trainer will have to physically tend to them in a pandemic. That could be very problematic, I imagine. Yeah, it could be. Maybe we can have some things. But to be honest, I mean, players come very prepared, you know, these days in, in times of, you know, when you, when you play matches and, and as physical as tennis has gotten. I'm not sure what extra you would have that, you know, what, what I couldn't think of. And I haven't really thought about it, to be fair, but I couldn't think of one more thing that I would want to bring on the court with me or one, you know, something that would assist me further in not requiring an injury to happen or, or some reason to call a physio or a doctor. I mean, I think tennis players do their best to take all of the precautions they, they can. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what that one thing is. Maybe it's a decent idea, but I mean, 
it's a sport at the end of the day. Injuries are going to happen. And, and this is, this is sort of like I was talking about with, with the virus, someone is probably going to test positive. I mean, golf had their case and how they've handled it, you know, we'll see. And, you know, if they have a few more, I don't know, but I mean, this is a sport we're going to have to use physios and doctors at some point, someone's going to have to use it. So you might as well come up with a protocol that works for everybody because no matter what kind of precautions you're going to take, you're not going to, you're not going to go through a whole U S open. You're probably not even go through one whole day at a U.S. open where somebody doesn't need something. Okay. Uh, Another aspect of the, of the experience of playing a professional tennis match, which is going to be different if we have the U S open and also the Western and Southern open uh, proceeding now also at the USDA National Tennis Center, a, a different part of the experience in a pandemic is going to be the absence of fans. Uh, how how much of a mental transition do you think that's going to be for first yourself, but second for the other players on tour? I mean, for me right now as a doubles player, maybe not so much. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that we had fans like crazy all the time, but it doesn't doesn't happen all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, to, you know, somebody's going to, if the U.S. Open happens, you know, two guys are going to be playing and two women are going to be playing for the U.S. Open singles title, potentially in front of, you know, just their friends and family. And, and that's it. It's going to be really weird. But, you know, look, I, my take on that is, you know, if we decide to have this and if we if we're OK and we, we're going to go ahead seemingly like we are, I mean, it's, it's just one of the concessions everyone's going to have to make that's, you know, it's going to be on TV. It's going to be. You know, it's it's going to be sport in a time when it, I think something like that is 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 would be great. You know, um, I think uh, golf has done it. You know, European soccer they've they've done it without fans. Uh, obviously, it's not been maybe for the biggest titles or anything like that. But as a as a TV watcher, I mean, as someone who watched it on TV, I've, I've quite enjoyed watching golf the last couple of weekends and. I don't know if maybe maybe it takes something away, but at the end of the day, it's still a title. So if they can get all the players to be able to come and participate in the U.S. Open as normal, I don't think the lack of fans, given the situation, will lessen what it means to the, the players. You know. Sure. Uh, let's let's uh, a few questions beyond the U.S. Open. Uh, let's start with this, and I mean, I mean, this is kind of a crossover question in the sense that Europeans considering playing at the U.S. Open, face this question. You uh, face this question in terms of perhaps playing at Roland Garros. What is, is a cross-continental uh, flight, a transcontinental flight, something you feel you can be safe on or not? Would, would you take a transcontinental flight to go to Roland Garros if that was a possibility? You know, the honest answer is I don't know. Um, I, I, it's absolutely not a definite yes, and it's not a definite no right now. I think, you know, there's still some time here, and we have to see how it plays out. But do I feel 100% safe about it? I, you know, no, not not even close. And I think back to the previous question, if, we, if there's no fans and everybody plays U.S. Open, I think it's one thing. But I think one thing that could deter from it a little bit is if players don't come, maybe some players aren't even allowed to come because their national borders aren't open. Like that to me is a big, big problem. I mean, we, we play a sport that's, that basically, you know, thrives on how global it is. And really, I think that's awesome. And I think if we don't, if we aren't able to invite everybody that's earned a spot because of, you know, government rules or, or whatnot, I think that's, that takes away from the, uh, the charm of winning a tournament or slam or whatever it is. So, but back to your that back to this question, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we have a little ways to go, and 
we'll see how it really see how it is. I mean, you know, flights in general are a scary thing right now, let alone one across the ocean. Yeah, and here's another here's another aspect of the professional tennis experience. There, there, uh, you know, there are reports that they're going to try and go ahead with some indoor events before 2020 is over. And you know, one of the points about the coronavirus is that uh, if people gathering in indoor spaces with air conditioning, you know, there's there's a lot of unsettled, unknown science right now. A lot of uncertainty about whether air conditioning. Uh, it is uh, sp spreading the coronavirus in an indoor facility. So do you think that playing indoor tennis poses a particular risk to tennis players and that we really shouldn't try and uh, be trying to play any indoor tournaments uh, later this year? I would say for myself, I'm much more comfortable if I'm playing a tennis tournament to play it outdoors and indoors. I just feel like in general, when you're indoors in a space, it seems to me, just logically thinking about it, I have no idea about air conditioning. I have no idea about anything. But just logically thinking about it, when you're indoors in a space, seemingly things could get past germs and, and viruses and things of this nature could get past a bit easier, you know, amongst people that are in a space together that's inside. Um, so, yeah, to, to answer your question, don't know if they should play it. I'm feeling much more comfortable if I'm if I am playing a tennis tournament to have be outside. Okay. Uh, now let's let's turn to the question of uh, points and those 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 uh, related matters. Uh, any adjustments to the the awarding of points for any of the events that are going to be played this year? Because you know it's not really these events are not occurring in a normal context. Of course, they're not occurring within a larger run of play. They're kind of a few events isolated, you know, that are going to be played on an island. Not going to be a normal situation, but it will, you know, assuming this happens, assuming there, there is a Western and Southern Open, a U.S. Open, a, a, a French Open, a Madrid Open, assuming these events do happen, anything that should be different about uh, the point system to to recognize and, and therefore not punish players uh, for, for playing under such adjusted and uh, less than ideal circumstances. This goes back to my original point, I feel like, or my, my earlier point about how I think our tour is based on the fact that everybody who earns their spot can come and we don't care about what country you're from or anything like that. Like we, you know, we are a sport that is totally global. So for me, if the situation is where people cannot come to play this tournament, whether it's because of, you know, government regulations, whatever. If, if, and if you can't come, or if you can come, but you can't go home because of quarantine regulations, I think there's a lot of different countries with some different rules going on at the moment. But if there is an issue where somebody is not going to come because of what their government says, for me, I don't think we can award points as normal. I mean, I think I understand race points, maybe, maybe something to where we award, you know, race points to the players to, you know, make them qualify for the year end championships. Uh, you know, that's probably the highest I'd be, I'd be okay with going. I, I don't think it's fair to affect the rankings, the 52 week ranking, which we use to enter tournaments, which is basically what we are judged on in our sport when players can't play because of some rules or regulations that they have to follow. It's, it's just not fair in my opinion. And um, I think that would be really undermining the sort of integrity of our sport. Um, if that were to go ahead like that, I, I think that for me poses the biggest issue when it comes to rankings. 
Okay, let me ask about tennis governance. Uh, you know, in terms of the leadership structures in tennis, or in terms of the people in any positions of importance within the leadership structures of tennis, what what has this pandemic, and and I could say more particularly, what has this uh, recent example with Djokovic, uh, you know, given his position on the player council, uh, anything that's happened in 2020 whether the past week or, or over the past three months that has uh, informed or developed your opinions on where tennis governance needs to go, you know, once the tour gets back to full operations, you know, hopefully in 2021, but we really don't know at this point. What, what, ha- what uh, new thoughts uh, have you gained about the, the larger reality of tennis governance? Um. That's a good question. I don't think it took a pandemic to realize that tennis was in a tough spot when it comes to its governments. I mean, we have the ATP, you have the ITF, you have the general, the other federations that run the Grand Slam, which are the biggest tournaments in our sports. You have obviously the WTA. So, so many different players in the game at the, you know, like you called them, the important people, the important, you know, players. And, um, I, oh, I don't know. It's I'm not one to come up with an answer for this. I do feel like if some way we could be a bit more aligned and a bit more cohesive, I think we could grow together, you know, grow the sport together. But it's just not it's not the way our, you know, our, our rules are written. Um, uh, an, an overhaul would probably be useful, maybe, but I, not in the near future. I think it's some, I think something like that takes decades and decades to work properly. But I think. Uh, you're seeing now when there's a big, big problem, you know, maybe the whole world is seeing or the, the people that follow tennis at least are, are seeing the problems that we have with the fact that we have so many different players in the game. Um, you know, I think even just the ATP structure alone is difficult sometimes when you have the players on one side and the tournaments on the other side and the CEO in the middle and everyone wants maybe something different. And it's, it's just a, it's a brutal way to be. Um, I think and it's, it makes growth really tough. So I think, you know, you see the difficulties when something like this happens, but they've been there for, a, you know, quite a long time anyway. Well, when you talk to fellow a- ATP professionals, um, is there a common thread or theme being voiced by other players in terms of what they want to see in tennis governance on the other side of this pandemic? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, always the common theme is that, you know, the sport pays a little bit more interest to its players, its talent, the, you know, the, the, the feeling that the players are the one that drives the ship, if you will. And, you know, we sometimes, the, the, our best interest doesn't get, you know, doesn't get, you know, put first, um, not only financially, that it's not, it's not everything, but just in terms of safety, in terms of, you know, anything else. And I think uh, just representation of, of the players' interest is something that I think is been a hot topic for a while. And it's just, it's only, it's only, accentuated you know due to something like this yeah so uh you know has have the rank and file in, among atp tour players the membership uh has there been in your sense any uh galvanizing force in terms of more players realizing hey we need to have a union or hey the tours need to merge as roger federer uh suggested or uh, a, we need like one commissioner who, who has power to kind of get the different entities of tennis, the Grand Slams, the WTA, the ATP, all in line. 
any movement that you sense in terms of any of those reform movements or anything I haven't mentioned uh, the, in, in the past minute or so? Um, I mean, I, I don't know that it's more so. I've also not paid incredibly close attention to it. And maybe that's my own fault of my or a fault of my own. But I just I feel like when you have this kind of situation, the biggest thing is the players all coming together and, and you know, fighting for one cause as 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 one. And I'm not talking about unions or anything like that. I'm just talking squarely about. You know, if we want something, we have maybe the power and we don't even realize it to come together and do so. But then getting everybody together and organized and, and kind of, you know, headed towards one common goal is, is really difficult because also players also have different views on things. And so I haven't really heard anything. I also haven't paid that much attention, to be fair. I just feel like uh, the one thing I do feel strongly about in this whole thing is just the idea that we can't we can't run events or at least not consistently run events for ranking points where you know all of our all of our members can't participate i mean that for me that would be a big sticking point for these uh these grand slams and and you know any other tournament that wants to happen it's just awarding awarding ranking points on that basis is it that would that wouldn't be fair i don't think okay we're getting toward the end uh and i'll give you just kind of your your at large free-flowing soapbox to close the show but before that you i, I give you your soapbox moment uh, Rajiv, uh, I want to ask this final particular question, and that is, has the time come for a universal basic income in tennis? In other words, lower ranked players getting a, a regular monthly check of like $2,000. I mean, like that's that's been a policy talking point in, here in America where, you know, citizens ought to get just get some money every month so that they can pay their bills, they can make ends meet, they don't have to live in quite as much anxiety, stress, uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. Should, you know, should, has the moment arrived for this to happen in tennis? And, and if so, you know, would, would you think that would have widespread support among, among tennis players, especially those ranked outside the top 100? Are you talking about because of the pandemic or are you talking about just in general? I'm assuming because of the pandemic, right? Because we were out of work and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, has the time come for that? Uh, Possibly. Yeah, I would say I would say, you know, if we are getting to the point now where, you know, players, especially maybe that are of a certain age or some kind of I, I don't know what the criteria are. I don't know what the ranking number is. I don't know what the, uh, you know, the, the, the age number is. But I, I do feel like we are at the point or pretty close to the point of the, risking the future of our of our game just due to players maybe that are coming up on the way up that could be not maybe the next world number one, but you know, the meat of the tour, the, the, you know, the 30 through 70 type of player and those types of guys that are, you know, not quite there yet, but you know, are on their way may look elsewhere to do something else because they just don't have the financial means to sit and wait this thing out. And um, I, again, I have, I, I don't know any numbers, any, any facts officially, but I wouldn't be opposed to, the tour looking at something like this and saying, right, you know, this is, this is an investment for the future of our game. Not maybe the guys currently there, maybe not the guys that are, you know, 30, my age and are, 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 you know, looking to try and, uh, you know, still make their way, which I'm not saying they can't, but maybe, maybe more looking towards the future of our game to try and, you know, make sure that we have enough players looking to try and play professional tennis that could sustain, you know, a decent level. And, 
you know, if they're looking at something else, then we're just losing players, and that, that's not a good thing. All right. We've, we've come to the end of the show. This has been great, Rajiv, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you after uh, Saqib handled uh, the first few interviews with you on this podcast. Uh, you know, so there's so much news crammed into every day, both in sports and in just in the world at large. So it's easy for a lot of important causes or ideas. It's easy for them to get lost in the shuffle. So in your soapbox moment, is if there's anything that uh, you, uh, you know, a, a, a theme, an idea, a, a, a cause that that is getting lost in the shuffle and you want to talk about it, but really anything you want, but maybe, maybe that might be something that you want to say just to close out our show here. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, okay. I think this is one interesting thing. I think, you know, obviously we hear a lot about negative stuff, right? I mean, we have a, we have a worldwide pandemic here in America. We have, you know, all, all kind of you know, issues going on with race relations and, and, you know, rioting and, and obviously, you know, police brutality handling of situations. But I think one thing that, you know, is kind of maybe if you're trying to take a small silver, silver lining with a lot of negativity, I mean, this has sort of caused me at least, and I can only speak from personal experience. I mean, you don't, my life has completely changed. I was on two airplanes a week for, you know, the last 20 years, let's say since I was about 16, 17 years old. And, um, you know, it's made me be able to stop and be home, spend time with my family, do quote unquote, some normal things and, you know, just be around people for lengths of time that I haven't gotten to in a really long time. And I, I, I'm a special situation because I'm a professional athlete, but maybe others have also had similar feelings where, you know, you're having zoom calls with friends and family that you don't catch up with. You get to see them, you get to talk with them and, you know, these kinds of things you could have always done, but maybe you didn't have the time and you didn't have, you know, work was in the way or whatever. You always had an excuse, but now there's really no excuse. So like things like this started to happen. So if there's a, a small silver lining in the whole, uh, in the whole, you know, everything that's going on in the world, I think, you know, maybe it gave us a chance to sort of simmer down and, and, you know, do some of those things that we didn't have time for before that are actually quite valuable. So I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's worth something. I think it's worth thinking about worth noting and hopefully we can, you know, remember that going forward. Well, that's a lovely grace note on which to end our show. And, and Rajiv, I want to just say directly, uh, not only thank you for being generous with your time, but you know, if you do play any tournaments later this year, uh, Sakib, myself and everyone at tennis with an accent and, and everyone in the global tennis family, which is you and the global community of tennis players, safety, health and wellness, uh, and the, and the best wishes to your family as well. So we just hope that you'll be safe wherever the road leads. Um, th thank you so much for joining us on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. All right. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me.